Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studio is my my good friend and colleague, a wonderful man of God, and a man who played the understudy of the for the Tin Man in the original uh, Wizard of Oz. The one and only Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, <laughs> how you doing, brother? I am very, very well. How are you this fine evening? I'm doing just great, my friends. Oh, it's great to be with you as always. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a marvelous Monday, or of course, it's Monday in Portland. It's a Saturday in South Bend. I mean, it's crazy how the calendar works. Uh, it's time travel. You lose, yeah, all that. But no, it's it's a, it's good to be with you this fine day. And um, I, I've been um, really praying a lot for your safe travel because you are in the air all the time and uh i i think every week i'm like gosh i want deacon harold to make it home safely so that we can join one another in the uh, in the studio again and and i'm so delighted to see you on the other end of the uh, of this skype call yeah that's great <laughs> you know what i'm looking forward to is the day uh when uh Modern Day Radio moves into the new facilities and we can do this uh, on on YouTube, you know, because a, a lot of radio shows now are actually filming the actual show being recorded. Oh, yeah. You know, EW, EWTN is doing that now and a number of others, and they're putting the, the uh, broadcast on YouTube. So sure. people can go back instead of just listening and go back and actually see. So people will be able to see us. Oh, goody. Does that mean I got to wear pants? <laughs> No, I'm wearing pants. I'm actually in the office today, so I'm wearing pants. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Can we say that? Just now. Can we say that on radio? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, that'll be great because uh, then we can. The best part about uh, a show that is kind of multimedia like that means that the charts and graphs that I'm always referring to as we're as we're talking here on the show, people will finally be able to see the charts and graphs that uh, until now only I've been able to see. That's right. <laughs> And they'll be able to see how the magic happens uh, in in the studio. How we're able to talk to each other from such a great distance. That's, right. That's great. And maybe we can we can show pr- uh, producer John too. That'd be the the highlight of yeah, the show. Yeah, there you go. There we go. People can see who's behind the scenes making it all happen. That's right. The the magician. Thank you. Thank you, John. I like my position in secrecy. <laughs> and that's the first appearance of producer John on the show right there. This is a red letter day. Oh, gosh. Wonderful. Well, Deacon, for the last couple of weeks, we've been discussing Humanae Vitae, the 1968 encyclical by Pope St. Paul VI on the regulation of human births. And we are midway through discussing the last part of the document. So part three is is kind of the pastoral considerations. or So this is kind of where the, the principle hits the, the actual daily living. So pastoral directives is part three. And we've, we've discussed last week um, kind of 
the promotion of chastity and the role of, of public authorities and also the role of scientists in um, uh, in kind of promoting the true teaching. And again, the whole principle is that we are seeking as, as a church, we want to promote the truth of human creation and procreation, which is built into the physical um, and uh, emotional and and the entire human person. And that means not just having recourse to artificial contraception, but actually to appreciate the human body and how God has designed us, including the cycles in fertility and applying our reason uh, and our rationality to the whole person, including our relationships and intimacy. And so that kind of brings us to the point where we are at, uh, where we pick up the conversation tonight. Yes. And, uh, and for those of you who are following along with us, and I just want to just welcome all of our uh, affiliates uh, for Living Stones that are joining us in different parts of the country. Uh, we love having you with us. So if you're following along with us, we're on paragraph 25. And uh, in this paragraph in the pastoral directives by Paul VI, we're talking, he's now addressing Christian couples. Mm-hmm. You know, And obviously this whole thing pertains to Christian couples, but right. in a very specific way now he's, uh, what I love what he does here is that he is talking about how the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist, strengthens that marriage covenant to be able to allow those couples to live the beauty, the beautiful reality uh, of um, of natural family planning. He says, "For by this sacrament they are strengthened and I might also say consecrated to the faithful fulfillment of their duties." Yeah. And uh, and the 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 line I love is, "For the Lord has entrusted to them the task of making visible to men and women." The holiness and joy of the law, which united and separated their love for one another and the cooperation they give to God's love. So I love that. It's, there's a yeah. joy there. Yeah. You know, and I, and I love that the idea of, of joyfully following the law of God. You know, again, it's not restrictive. It's not something that comes from out, what's called heteronymous, that comes from outside and imposes itself on us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's when we open our hearts and give ourselves over to God's law that there is a, a, a deep joy because we know we're fulfilling our ultimate purpose and meaning in following the law of God. Yeah, and it this is an outgrowth of the idea of Christian marriage as a vocation. You know, we are called into this relationship. We are we are all called to be in relationship with God, the creator of all. But Christian couples are called into vocation, they're called into relationship with one another. And as he says that this is um part of their vocation in the Christian life, which derives from their baptism and is confirmed anew and made more explicit by the sacrament of matrimony. So it's this idea to, you know, vocation means to be called. Vocare is this, we hear this in the word vocal and vocalizing. So we are called to live joyfully the law of God, as you say. Um, Now, he acknowledges, however, that it is going to be difficult and that there will be difficulties in the Christian life, especially in this teaching, because it's calling us to self-discipline and to um, really enter into respect for our spouse and and respect for natural rhythms and, and the cycles of our human bodies and things like this. So he says that these difficulties are going to beset the lives of Christian married couples. Um, but he reminds us, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, you know, quoting Christ Jesus himself in the gospel. Nevertheless, 
it's precisely the hope of that life, which, um, and, and we're talking here, eternal life. It's hope in eternal life that makes it possible for us to rely on God's grace, to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world, as St. Paul wrote to Titus, and to remember that even if it's difficult here, we are working for eternal life. Uh, and so the form of this world is passing away, as Paul wrote in the first letter to the Corinthians. So it's a reminder that uh, this veil of tears, as we call it, you know, in our in our prayer, um, and the difficulties of this life are preparing us for the eternal joys of heaven. And that's kind of, again, it's all part of vocation and the ultimate vocation of relationship with, with Christ Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, and, and all of this points toward and foreshadows the kind of relationship we'll be having uh, with God forever in heaven. You know, Revelation 19, verse 9 talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb or the wedding feast of the Lamb. Um, and so th- that's all of this points toward it. But what gets us there is Calvary, right. you know, and right. that's why I, I, I'm glad he also emphasizes how difficult the reality of marriage is, yeah. um, you know, because it, it's the cross, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've said this before, you know, there is no resurrection without crucifixion mm-hmm. you know and uh and and so that's why he also talks about having recourse to god in the next uh section here he says then let them the married couple uh, implore the help of god with unremitting prayer and most of all let them draw grace and charity from that unfailing fount which is the eucharist yep you know so i, I always talk about in my in my marriage talks about the eucharist um kind of being the heart and the, the, the focus and the center of that married life uh, because it is Christ himself. Right. You know, um, so you have the grace of the marriage covenant, which, of course, makes the bond. Um, but then you have the Eucharist, which nurtures and strengthens and feeds that sacramental life, which deepens prayer and intimacy with couples and allows them and gives them the strength to be able to uh, to live the, the beautiful teaching that Pope Paul VI has given us in Humanae Vitae. Yeah, because it's this idea of the Eucharist is also communion, which clearly means, you know, union together. And what do we talk about? Intimacy, uh, human sexuality is unitive and procreative together, you know. And so, again, union. And I'm amazed because he goes on from here, you know, encouraging us to be strengthened by the Eucharist. But then he says, however, if sin still exercises its hold, and and it likely will, they are not to lose heart, but rather must they, humble and persevering, have recourse to the mercy of God abundantly bestowed in the sacrament of penance. Now think about this. Just a paragraph and a half ago, he talked about vocation, which comes from, which begins in us in our baptism. And then we have the sacrament of marriage. And now we have driving us back to the Eucharist, which feeds us and penance, which strengthens us along the way when we do fall. So we're seeing how all of the sacraments really work together in a, in a way. This is the Pope, Pope St. Paul VI, in his role as teacher, as, as an ordained minister of God. So there's a sacrament of holy orders, encouraging us to avail ourselves of the sacraments to help us to follow the law of God. And this is such a wonderful kind of reflection. Um, He goes on to quote, of course, St. Paul, 
when he says in Ephesians 5 that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And these are of course, mutually, uh, these are, are jobs that we each have to do. The husband has to love his wife. The wife should love her husband, and the wife should respect her husband, and the husband should respect his wife. It's it's all. This is, of course, as Paul tells us, a great mystery, and I refer to the to the relationship of Christ and the church here. So it all kind of ties back together to our vocation in Christ. Absolutely, and and then he finishes. Uh, this kind of section here, well, not the whole section, I mean, but, but talking about Christian couples in particular, talking about the, the family apostolate, mm-hmm. you know, because then, because the, the graces that flow from this union that, that bears children then has to carry itself out in the life of the family as well. Right. So it, it's, it's, the, it's the, the couple that's nurtured and strengthened by the grace, but then that grace has to be, in a sense, given over and uh, lived out. Uh, in the reality of children and that dynamic of, of family life. So it's a short little paragraph, but it's uh, awesome that he, he kind of ties it all together the, in that little section there. It's this idea that married couples are the model for other married couples. And this is so critical. He says that married couples themselves will often desire to communicate their own experience to others. And this is so true. You know, when we were being prepared for our uh, marriage, Julie and I were prepared by a couple, Josh and Stacy, who had been living their married life together um, and could then speak from their own experience in a way that is not academic, in a way that is not, you know, in a way that's lived from the heart. And we have remained great friends with them. I mean, they they uh, are here in South Bend, Indiana. And uh, so we we actually went and had a day trip with them and some other friends uh, just recently. And it's this joy of being married and sharing that joy with others. And it includes not just not just kind of the the joys and the sorrows, but also the difficulties being able to frankly discuss things like contraception and natural family planning and finance and all of these sorts of things. It's so powerful when we have the opportunity to learn from the experience of others, you know, kind of an apprenticeship in a way in being married. Uh, and, and the Holy Father talks about this as the fullness of the lay vocation in, in a way is for a cu- for couples to share their experience with other couples. Uh, exactly. And, uh, you know, there's some parishes actually that uh, when, when they uh, have a, a newly married couple in the parish, they actually have a, a mentoring couple oh, that wow. like for the first year, that newly married couple um, kind of partners with this other couple who's been married for a while. And uh, any th- issues that come up or, or any questions they have, they have a couple who've uh, been in the trenches for a while that can be there for them yeah. to support them and give them advice and counsel and and, and different things. So, uh, so I, I, I found it to be very helpful again. I, again, I, because I travel so much, I, uh, I get this to see the life of parishes all around the country. And, um, and, uh, and I always like when parishes have programs like this. And I talk to the, to the younger married couples and they've always find it very, very helpful and, uh, and very fulfilling. That is such a great ministry. You know, the Holy Father talks about this. He says, among all the forms of the Christian apostolate, it's hard to think of one more opportune for the present time. 
And remember, he's writing this in 1968. And yet, <laughs> how, how much more do we need that today? You know, this is very much the idea of, you know, uh, the joy of love, kind of a Morris Letizia, some of those ideas. We need couples to step up and model being couples. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, in the next uh, section here, in paragraph 27, he uh, is addressing doctors and nurses, which is great. And he says, let them therefore continue constant in their resolution, always to support those lines of action which accord with faith and with right, right reason. So even doctors and nurses, you know, should not allow their uh, medical knowledge and their advanced technologies uh, overshadow the, the natural moral law that can uh, they can come to recognize through through reason, through right reason, and, and of course have their, their mix it in with faith. You know, faith and 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 medicine uh, should not necessarily be separate, right? Uh, and and let them strive with agreement and support for these policies among their professional colleagues. So they need to stand up and, and speak the truth when their colleagues are trying to implement policies and 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 procedures that go against the natural moral law. We see a battle for this sometimes. We hear about the uh, even Catholic hospitals that are having procedures that go against this natural moral law and how. Some doctors and nurses will leave their uh, their employment or even, you know, maybe even change careers because of, uh, you know, they have to live according to their, their rightly formed conscience in this area. So this is important. Yeah. And this actually, I'm really glad you brought that up because this obviously is a great question of religious freedom. Whole questions of uh, acting in accord with your conscience includes in your professional work, too, you know, and, and it may be that in some cases that if you're compelled as a doctor or a nurse, if you're being compelled to act not in accord with your conscience, it may be that that is your opportunity to be an apostle, to be a witness to Christ. And we know that Christ himself as, you know, was persecuted. And he told us in the Beatitudes, blessed are they when they persecute you for righteousness sake, you know, and this is something that it may be that you have to leave your position because uh, you will not violate your conscience. And that is um, that is a moment when you are uniting your own sufferings to Christ, who was persecuted for our sake, for the sake of truth. And so I'm really glad that you've kind of brought this up. And also, it's this opportunity as in Catholic healthcare for us to be witnesses to what authentic care for the whole human person is. It is not to kill. It is not to to violate the uh, natural law in the way that God has created us. It is to act in accordance with that law and to promote authentic healing. And um, so I'm really glad that the Holy Father kind of says this. He says that the doctors should make themselves fully proficient in this difficult field of medical knowledge so that when married couples ask for their advice, they may be in a position to give them right counsel and to point them in the proper direction. That's what the Holy Father encourages doctors and nurses to do. And he reminds them, married couples have a right to expect this much from them. Exactly right. And um, and this is something that parents need to be aware of. Uh, and I mentioned this briefly uh, a couple of weeks ago. Right. Um, when they're bringing their children to physicians, especially the girls, you know, um, and you know, they're, and the, the young girl is in there talking with the physician about uh, the changes that are happening in her body and and uh, female 
you know, issues that go along with that. And the doctor may be recommending, you know, contraception or things like that or talking about being sexually active and those kinds of things. And the parents have no clue what's going on. You know, the, so parents need to be uh, very much aware um, that if they're not going to a faith based uh, physician, that these are questions that they're going to raise mm-hmm. uh, and they just consider this you know, normal conversation. You know, and even in schools, especially in public education, where they're, you know, where they have a very, very uh, different understanding of the nature of human sexuality than, than we have as, as Christians. So, um, you know, parents need to be really on their toes when it comes to issues, especially with, with doctors and, and nurses that have a, a very secular worldview and don't look at these issues in the light of God's revelation and the beauty and truth of, of the teachings of the church. Um, so I just, just, you know, I think, you know, parents say, well, I, I trust the doctors, you know, I trust the physician. Um, and I'm saying you don't trust them, but it's some, but you have to be on your toes and have to be a, alert and aware that they're con- that these young people's consciences may be formed by a physician whose conscience is not thinking with the heart and mind of, of the church. And this is a good opportunity to encourage listeners to seek out a doctor who is in accord with your uh, understanding of human sexuality. If that's an opportunity for you, if that's something that you have the freedom to do even within your, your healthcare network, um, have a conversation with your doctor too about your understanding and your what, what you believe, because this also helps Again, it's a witness to the doctor as well. Perhaps your doctor isn't Catholic. Perhaps your doctor doesn't isn't necessarily pro-life in the in the full sense of the term. But you are the one paying your doctor, and so you can witness to your doctor as well. This is uh, an opportunity, perhaps, to be an evangelist for the truth in your own little corner of the world. Exactly right. And so, in the uh, next section here, in paragraph twenty-eight. He is now addressing priests, you know, um, which which is very good, you know. And this is I'm glad that he that Pope Paul VI included priests as part of this, um, because sometimes you hear people say, "Well, what does the priest know? The priest is not, you know, they're celibate, and right. you know, what, what, how can they ca- possibly counsel me in this area? You know, they 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 don't know much about this." And I, I think sometimes couple people forget the fact that priests come from families; mm-hmm. <laughs> they were mm-hmm. formed by families. And that they are speaking with dozens and dozens and dozens of families over the course of their entire priesthood. So they're gaining experiences from these other families that they can bring to bear in this in this particular family situation. Yeah. You know, so uh, and and plus, you know, they they also want to impart the church's teachings. A lot of these couples don't really know or understand or are living out the church's teachings. So the, the, the priest has a wonderful opportunity here to be able to um, to minister uh, to couples who are struggling in this area. And, you know, the, the Holy Father says in that paragraph, for it is your principal duty, we're especially speaking to those who teach moral theology, but for all, especially but for pastors as well, to spell out clearly and completely the church's teaching on marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's, a, it's a sacred duty for the priest, especially during... Uh, marriage preparation and formation of those couples, you know, because a lot of couples think that this oh, this is just a formality coming in for marriage preparation. Um, but my attitude is they're still discerning, even though they're engaged and there's a ring on the finger, they're still discerning. And so this is the time for them to really give them the beauty and its fullness of the church's understanding of what marriage is. 
Yeah, this is um, one of those things that you think about because, of course, you know, reading the news, you'll read about about priests who will preach from the pulpit about uh, pro-life issues and they will get criticized. Um, but then at the same time, you'll also hear and, and read criticism of priests who never preach about uh, pro-life issues. Uh, and so uh, the Holy Father here is really encouraging and calling upon all priests to, to, as he says, be the first to give an example of that sincere obedience inward as well as outward, which is due to the magisterium of the church. Because it is, as, as you said before, it's their principal duty to spell out com- clearly and completely the church's teaching on marriage. And it's so important, especially in this day and age when when there's confusion and when there's um, dissembling in uh, sometimes in the pulpit and sometimes, you know, in the bulletin note and from your pastor or, you know, I mean, gosh, I'm in I'm on Twitter and Facebook all the time. And so I see all of these debates and discussions which seem to kind of tear at the heart of the unity of the church. Um, and what the Holy Father here is really asking for is the that there be one voice in the church. He says it is of the utmost importance that in moral as well as in dogmatic theology, all should obe- obey the magisterium of the church and should speak as with one voice. And that was true in 1968, and it's true today. It's been true throughout the history of the church. We have access to the truth, um, to the fullness of truth. And it is the role of pastors to proclaim that truth and to invite the faithful to live in accordance with it. Uh, And as we'll talk next week when we gather, we know that it's difficult to do that. Uh, But that's why we have the sacraments. That's why especially the sacrament of penance. Unfortunately, Deacon, we're getting really close to the end of our discussion tonight. And so uh, we're going to have to think about um, what would be if you were to say a takeaway from this week? I think going to adoration and reflecting on two things. I think one, um, reflecting on how this beautiful teaching can be more deeply um, inculcated into your own married life uh, as a couple. Or, and also during the adoration time, also pray for priests. Yes. You know, because how, how ironic it was, it was this very document that, you know, uh, because I mean, maybe they forgot to read this paragraph about faith, faithfulness <laughs> to the teaching authority of the church because it causes a rift yeah. um, within the church herself. Uh, and so I think, you know, um, finding ways to deeply, more deeply implement this and then praying for priests are, are, are two very concrete takeaways. But until next time, Ken, how can people uh, stay in touch with us? Well, it's easy to download uh, all of our previous shows by going to materdeiradio.com. You can also visit our website uh, where we link to those as well at livingstonesmedia.org. We're on Twitter at Catholic Stones and we're on Facebook. Just type in Living Stones right into the old search box. And next thing you know, you'll see the smiling visage of Deacon Harold and, and me. <laughs> Deacon, uh, until we gather next week, might we have your blessing. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. 
Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.